why don't you turn right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and as you do that, um, I'm going to turn with you, but um, I'm going to read you a passage um, that Paul wrote to the Romans in A.D. Um, 57, which was two years, about two years after he had written the letter that we've spent um, the last, well, since January, uh, the letter to the Corinthian church. So as he wrote in AD 55, one of his, I believe it's his first letter to the Corinthian church, uh, he two years later, about two years later, wrote to the Romans. And so it's about an 18-hour drive, according to Google, plus boat ride from Rome to Corinth. And uh, and I'm believing as I read through this first chapter, while well, portions of this first chapter in Romans that he had written to them, I'm believing that the corruption that Paul is talking about in Romans was also being experienced in the culture of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was permitting um, outside ideologies to leak its way, not just leak its way, but rush its way into the Corinthian church. So I want, but as I read this, as you're there, um, just listen along as I read. And I want you to think now, okay, this was written in AD 57 to the Romans. It's going to speak, speak about some, some pretty significant corruption that Paul was trying to address that people had given themselves over to. And I want you to think right now in terms of our culture today and see if it doesn't apply to us today in at least some regard. I believe you'll agree in most regard. But here we go. This is the heart of the world as it was known back then and as it is today. So listen to this, Romans chapter one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, For the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they were filled with this with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They're disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When I read that, I would have to say this. It sounds like in 2,000 years, the heart of man has not changed at all. That sounds a whole lot like what we are experiencing today outside the church. This is a godless world that is being expressed. Knowing God, they become futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened. And so God gives them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. God gives them up to dishonorable passions. God gives them up to a debased mind. And what you see happening in our world today is the very thing that Paul is telling the Romans. This is what you have to deal with in your society. Hey, uh, if you haven't heard, it's come to Grand Haven. Like little old, quiet, quaint Grand Haven. We see restaurants celebrating shows that they should not, hosting shows and performances that are contrary to what the Word of God would have to say. There's a festival that's coming on June 10th that is intended to celebrate the very lifestyle that God is saying is contrary to the sound teaching of the Word of God, and Grand Haven is going to celebrate it. I'm supposing Holland has maybe some similar things, but being in Grand Haven, I'm much more familiar with what's going on there. But here's, here's the question. Where do you go to escape all of this? Like, we're in a country of chaos. We're in a country that is very clearly separated and divided. And so here we sit. Where in the world do we go? Where do you go when you want to escape this? I know some of you, you're like, for a week at a time, I'm going to climb up in a tree and sit in the middle of the woods, and I'm going to ignore what's going on all around me. There are some that will say, you know what, I'm just going to run to the beach. I'm going to go to a place where there's no cell phone connection. I'm going to completely disconnect. There are some that are like, you know what, we have a cottage in northern Michigan. We're going to go every weekend from Memorial Day to Labor Day, and that's where we're going to escape this world that we see falling apart all around us. Where do you go to escape this? That's the heart of the world just described in Romans chapter 1. I want you to hear what the heart of Summit Church is. Summit Church, this is our desire here. If you're new with us today, if you've been coming here since the foundation of this church, it's the heart's desire of Summit Church that this would be a place of escape for you from the things that you see going on in the world. That this would be a place of peace. That this would be a place where you come and you meet God. The end of Jasper's sermon last week, but if all prophesy, chapter 14, verse 24, but if all prophesy, so if everyone together, every one of us is declaring the truth of the word of God to each other, and an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Jesus, or an outsider enters someone who's brand new to Summit Church, if they come and they hear the word of God being presented to the church, These individuals will be convicted by the word of God. He will be called to account, receives the accountability that comes to the church, through the church. The secrets of his heart 
will be disclosed. He will humble himself before God and then fall on his face. He will worship God and declare, God is really among you. That's Summit Church, that you would experience that God is among us. To the unbeliever or the outsider, the one that's brand new with us today, exposure to the word of God brings conviction, accountability, humility, and repentance. It brings an experience with God that is everlasting and eternal. To those of us who are inside Summit Church, we should ask ourselves these questions very often. How have I encountered the presence of God at Summit Church? Because just as you encounter the presence of God will be the way that you express your experience with the word of God. So how have I encountered the presence of God at Summit Church? And then how do I, as a member of Summit Church, express the presence of God at Summit Church? Ultimately, we want God to be known here and that God is really among us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're actually going to start at the end. I just want you to hear this. For chapter thir- or verse 33, it's the first half of verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of peace. Paul has spent 14 chapters right in, in, in 1 Corinthians helping to restore order to the Corinthian church. Because with confusion, with chaos, there is not peace. But when things are in order, when the word of God is declared, when, when the name of Jesus Christ is elevated, that's where we find peace. God is to be experienced here. He's trying to bring order to chaos, and division, and contention. And we want to be a church that's at peace. So our question for today is this. How can we be sure, Summit? How can Summit be a church where Christ is encountered? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 33. Read along with me. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for, the, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Now remember, we're stopping at the end of well, at the first half of, of verse 33. Now remember this, remember this church. This is a letter that's written to the Corinthian church. And they were a mess. And so our great challenge now as we look at the mess that the Corinthian church was and how Paul is trying to address and bring order to that church, we must remember it was written to them. What can we learn from them should be on our minds constantly. 
As I met with the staff, and, and of course, this has probably been one of the most discussed sermon series ever since I started preaching regularly in 2018. Um, uh, we, we believe that the Apostle Paul would be at peace in our church. And I say that with great humility because I see and I experience personally. I know you, I've heard testimony, testimony come from you, the church, declaring, yes, we know that God is among some at church. We see order, we see the Holy Spirit at work and we praise God for that. While I say that, we know we are not perfect if each elder were to sit in a row and give ourselves a grade, I don't know where we would fall. Um, but we love what God is doing through Summit Church. So remember, written to the Corinthians, but what can we learn from them? So how can, let's go back to our question, how can Summit be a church where Christ is encountered? Here's the first one, by deferring to the well-being of others. Deferring to the well-being of, of others. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? What then? He, Paul starts out by this. He's, here's what I think Paul is doing. He's thinking back through at least all of chapter 14. But it's like he's taking a deep breath and a sigh. Because he's ready right now to address the disorder that's actually happening when they come together. So it can, be, it can be translated like this. Not just what then, brothers, but what shall I say? Or what am I to do? Chapter 11, he challenges them with, I do not commend you because when you come together, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. And so in this portion of chapter 14, as he is closing chapter 14, he is addressing the disorder that he spoke to in chapter 11 about them bringing disorder into the church and not being for the better, but for the worse. What then, brothers, when you come together, when it's an expectation that we as a church would come together and lift high the name of our Savior, Jesus, in worship. Each one has something to offer. A hymn can also be translated a psalm, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. This is a wonderful thing. You have a gathering and you have a fellowship of believers that are coming together. They're sitting shoulder to shoulder, side by side, ready to hear the word of God proclaimed, ready to worship together. And everyone is coming with something they want to share. Now listen, that is to be celebrated. It's our heart's desire in Summit Church that you come ready to, to use the gifts that God has given you to bless the rest of the church. It's to be celebrated. Each one has something to contribute. But here's what Paul was running up against. The Corinthians' desire, the desire of the individual was to make much about their thing. The very thing they believe needs to be shared with the church. So he's saying to them, look, you're coming together. Each one has this thing to share, but your motives are corrupt your motive for contributing is corrupt. You are the one that wants to make you the center of attraction. And Paul is saying, listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to lift high Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're not here to lift you high as you build your own pedestal for your own reputation in the church with the very thing that God has gifted you with. The gift is simply for you to use as a means of pointing people to the person of Jesus Christ. Yet they were coming 
with hymns, with psalms, with lessons, with revelations, with tongues, with interpretations, simply to say, here I am, listen to what I have to say, because I have a lot to say. This is a violation of the very thing that Paul is saying. I want you to be loving toward each other. And and, and let's be more to the point. Chapter 13, verse five, love does not insist on its own way. What Corinth was doing, what this church was doing is they were insisting on their own way. They were not deferring to others. They were deferring to themselves and sought to elevate themselves. Love does not insist on its own way. Paul is establishing order. Remember, God is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of peace. What Paul was seeing in the Corinthian church, what he was hearing about was confusion. That word in verse 33 can also be translated like this, disorder, insurrection, confusion, instability, rebellion, even rioting. I wonder what a worship service would have looked like with the Corinthian church. Verse 23, he says in chapter 14, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? He's saying, look, look, I need you to settle down right now. I need you to take turns in sharing what the Lord has laid on your heart. I want you right now to measure whether or not this is even something that's intended for the whole body. Maybe it's for two or three. Maybe it's something God only intends for for you to receive from him. So he says, what then? When you come together, here it is again, let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up. Have you heard that before? I know you have. You've heard it seven other times since we started preaching this series in chapter 12. Seven times. Why do you think Paul had to tell them seven times? Look, I want you to do, to live in your church in such a way that you are building others up. This is about others. Seven times. How many times do you believe something needs to be said before it actually sinks in? Well, the experts say seven times. This is actually the eighth time he says something to the effect of, it's not about you, it's about everybody else. Not about you. Let all things be done for building up. How many times do you need to say it to your kids, parents? You know. You're like, "Mm mm-mm. Not even eight times makes a difference. You're like... Here's what, here's what I know. I'll tell 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. You know what makes the difference? When pain comes. All right, so the other night, Josh and Kara and their little one, was they were over to our house, and we have a hot tub. They don't even know that I'm using this, but I'm going to use it. He laughed, so we're all good. Um, so anyhow, Josh is in the hot tub with a baby, David. And this is, this is the way it went. He's like, David starts splashing. Kara and Wendy and I are sitting there and he's splashing everybody. And Josh is like, no, we're going little splashes in the hot tub, little splashes in the hot tub. Now, now here the heart of the grandparent is going to be exposed. Okay, Josh is like, David, 
only in the hot tub. And David looks him square in the eye and splashes outside of the hot tub. And here's, here's like, Josh didn't do this, but I hear, ah, 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 ah. I think Josh told him seven times, don't splash outside of the hot tub. Guess what? David was in a challenging moment with Josh as he stared him right in the eye. Multiple times splashing out of the hot tub. The eighth time came, and then the pain came. He didn't spank him. He just said, all right, we're done. He picks him up, puts him outside the hot tub. You know, but the heart of the grandparent right there is there like, no, no, come on, don't do that. It's okay, we're just getting, that's really not the way I responded. That's the way Wendy was responding. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, come on now. How many times do you need to tell him to stop splashing? And Josh on the eighth time, I don't know if it was the eighth time. But that's, but that's what Paul, the point that Paul is trying to make. Hey, listen, come on now. I'm, I've told you enough times, please get it. When you come together, don't make your gift about you and personal elevation and personal satisfaction. It is intended for you to use to glorify God as you bless others with it. We're not insisting on our own way. We are Chapter 14, verse 1, to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Yes, they were eager with earnestness to express the spiritual gift that God has given him because that's how we experience the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. But we're supposed to do that by what? Persecuting. Persecuting love. Throwing yourself at love for the benefit of others, not yourself. Not insisting on our own way, but insisting on the personal well-being of others. Here's a, here's a great way to picture this. So imagine everyone right now has their gift to share in this worship service. Everyone stands up and they're shouldering to come up front to share their lesson, their revelation, what the Lord has done with them. I have a hymn to share It's the picture of everyone coming together because I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to see me. I want you to be elevate, to elevate me based on what I have to share to you. Practically speaking, here's how this can work. Years and years ago at my church back home, um, of course, it would be the same here. If you have some sort of special music, now many of you are like, well, what's special music? Special music is when someone has a, um, a, a, a solo to sing. Uh, let's just call it that. Just Let's stick with the solo because that's what this girl had to do. She was a young woman in her middle 20s. And, and I put myself in Corey's position right now because of stuff like this. She came to our worship director and asked if she could sing a solo. And I know this, he worked really, really hard to say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do it. But with her persistent persistence, as she is shouldering forward to say, this has so blessed me, I know it will bless others. You can tell he worked really hard with her after he said no. He put her on the stage and everyone was just like biting their nails with discomfort because of how terrible she was. But she was having a great time as she was sharing her solo. Shouldering her way forward, saying, I have this thing that I want others to be blessed with.
couple of weeks. Well, okay, so let's put it. I'm standing in a hot tub in Colorado with one of my best buds, and we're just having a great time talking about how the Lord's been at work in our lives. It's another example for you, okay? How good is he has been such an instrumental song in my life recently. I can't listen to it without being in tears. And I'm like, Vince, you got to hear this song, how big of a deal it's been to me. So I play it. We have a Bluetooth speaker there. I'm playing it. And of course, I'm standing there. Tears are rolling down my eyes. And I'm just so moved by it. So guess what he does? He's like, hey, I have a song I want to share with you too. Because it's been so impactful to him. He plays it. And I'm like, I think it's time to hit the slopes. Let's go. You know, In my heart, I'm like, I don't really care about your song. Why? Because it moved him. It didn't move me. Guess what? My song moved me. It didn't move him. If it were up to me, I'd be like, Corey, every Sunday to end the service, we're going to sing How Good Is He? Because it's had such an incredible impact into my life. It's me shouldering forward to say, Corey, I know that this is going to make a difference in the life of the church. That's, what it, that's the picture of what was happening in Corinth. Corinth, with songs, with messages, with lessons, with revelation. The purpose of the gathering is that God is experienced, not me. We should never want to be experienced. We should want God to be what is experienced in the church. So to wrap this point up right now, as we defer to others, let's put it this way. A couple of questions that we should always ask ourselves, and I already presented one to you. As we seek to desire for other people to see Summit as a place where God is working and and, and moving, how do I express the presence of God at Summit Church? Ask this question as well. So how am I expressing it, okay? Who do I believe right now, God? Who did you intend this for? Is it simply for me? Is it maybe for my small group? Is it maybe for the two or three that I'm meeting with for a Bible study? Or is it for the entirety of the church? Lord, who did you provide this? Why did you give this to me and who is it for? We should be asking that question. And then also... When I am ready to deliver my lesson or my revelation or my hymn or my psalm, who do I intend to be built up by the sharing of whatever that is? Church, we need to be about the deference of others. We need to be about full sending, about persecuting love, about being about the personal well-being of others. That's what Paul is suggesting, saying, admonishing us with in these first handful of verses. How can some it be where Christ is encountered by deferring to the well-being of others? And here's another one. We're going to start at verse 29. By proclaiming the word of God clearly. There may have been some clear proclamations of the word of God in the church of Corinth, but they're all stumbling over each other because they all had something to say. And when everyone has something to say, it becomes a very confusing place. Now, it is, once again, it's to be celebrated. Let's let's use the elders as an example in our elder meetings. Praise God, when we open the word of God, everyone is being moved by the word of God. And we oftentimes stumble over each other because we believe we have something to say that's for the good and the well-being of others. What Paul is saying right here and right now is, hey, look, 
Settle down because you, when you're doing that, no one is benefiting because no one is hearing anything because everyone's fighting to say what they want to say. He's saying, stop it. Slow down. Let's do this in turn. And then, as we are commanded to all prophesy, you're going to see, all prophesy, everyone then benefits from what everyone else has to say. Look at verse 29. The grand, this is the grand purpose, actually, verse 31. For you can all prophesy. Paul wants us to do that, that we would all prophesy. Why? Here's kind of a ninth time that Paul is saying, this is for the benefit of others, but he doesn't say it that way. He says it this way, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. That's the grand purpose, the the learning and the encouragement and the benefit of others. Remember verse 24, but if all prophesy, there it is again, all, there's an expectation that everyone is rightly handling the word of God so that God is seen as really being among us. Hey, let me point something out to you. We've spent a lot of time over the past couple of weeks talking about tongues. But let's look at this right here, at what Paul is saying. Prophecy is expected. Tongues is permitted. Look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Let them speak. It's expected that the word of God is proclaimed clearly in the church. Now look at verse 27. This is Paul's concession. It's Paul giving permission. It's not an expectation. Verse 27 says, if any speaks in a tongue. It's not commanded. He's given permission. Personal take on this. I believe Paul, if you look at the rest of chapter 14, Paul says, I would rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 that no one understands. So even if someone comes with a, even if two or three come with the intention, with a, with a tongue, there must be someone to interpret. The interpretation ultimately leads, ultimately leads back to clear instruction from the word of God. Prophecy. Paul is giving permission for tongues to be used. It's an expectation that we are all together prophesying. Speaking the clear word of God. Even, we're about to see, even with prophecy, as the elders are very guilty of in our, in our meetings on Tuesday mornings, it still must be done, while it's expected, it still must be done in order. Let two or three prophets speak. Okay, so how does that relate to Sunday morning? I believe we do this every Sunday morning. Two or three prophets are speaking, okay? Two or, peop- two or three people are declaring the word of God. Let's use today, today as an example. Dennis, one of our elders, gave an admonition to the church and to parents. Corey, as he was explaining about what it means to be praying and how to, how to pray with expectancy, yet, yet submitting to the sovereign will of God, there's another example. Oftentimes during Summit Update, we have someone that's coming forward with the word of God to share, and they share. The close of the service is another opportunity. Jasper's going to do it at the end of the service. 
As he closes and he puts a bow on the entirety of the service, he is declaring the word of God. And then, of course, as we open the word during the sermon time, another person is sharing the word of God. Let two or three. Now, imagine if all of us came up and at one time, we want to do this right now. My thing needs to be said right now. No one's going to hear anything. Everyone's going to be looking at an absolute state of confusion on the stage, and no one's going to get anything of it. It won't be for the benefit of anyone, but maybe each one of us will feel good that we said what God said we had to say. Let two or three prophets speak. Listen to this. Yes, Yes, let's do it in order, but along with it also comes accountability. Accountability is necessary. And let the others weigh what is said. So as the two or three are sharing their word, let the others weigh what is said. Who are the others? Some say it's the elders. Some say it's the other prophets in the church, the ones that are able to speak. And there are some commentators that say that's everybody. Well, I would say it's everybody. Here's why. Because as I stand up here and declare the word of God, I know I'm going to have elders to answer to on Tuesday morning about what I declared up here. So they are in a process right now of weighing how I am handling the word of God, whether it's rightly or not. And you know, we come to you week after week after week. We ask you to weigh what we say as well and not take for granted that what we are saying is accurate. You will stand and be held accountable before God about how you received and understood the word of God. It comes with great accountability. All right, so, so others are to weigh. What does it mean to weigh the word of God? Okay, so as I declare, as I declare, excuse me, as I declare the word of God, you're right now in a process of like, how does that sit with me? Actually, how does that sit with the word of God? Is what, is what Todd, is what he, he is preaching, is it clear and in accordance with what the word has to say about itself? Okay, here's, here's a scary one for me. Also, trust your gut. Trust, like, does it sit well with you? Okay, now listen. Listen to this. Jesus is accursed. Chapter 12, verse one. Oh my goodness, Todd just said Jesus is accursed. How does that sit with you? Jesus is Lord. Right now, you know, oh my goodness, Jesus is Lord. I know it didn't sit well with you when I said Jesus is accursed. The Holy Spirit of God in you will lead you in what is being preached and what you are hearing let me make it just a slight bit more complicated for you, okay? So you're like, you're like order, order, order. What, what, come on, where, where are we spontaneous in the worship service? I didn't, this example, I'm like, all right, Lord, I don't know what example you want me to use. So I'm gonna refer back to Romans chapter one that I just shared with you, all right? That's a personal experience, okay? I have a very dear love. I'm really wrestling over what it means to love, What it means to love the individual in my life that claims Christ yet is living contrary to what the Bible has to say, all right? I know I have this relative that's going to show up at the, this is hypothetical, okay? If it's going to show up on June 10th at that festival in Grand Haven that's celebrating a life that's contrary to what the Bible has to say, my goodness, what am I supposed to do with it? He's claiming Christ, yet at the same time, he is declaring God is okay with me living in what the Bible says to be a sinful lifestyle. So here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm really, I'm supposed to love him. So you know what? I'm just going to love him. All right, well, Todd, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. I'm simply going to speak with love. I'm just going to love him by what I say to him. Well, what are you going to say to him? I'm not, well, first of all, I'm not going to say anything that's going to push him away. Heaven forbid. If he doesn't have me in his life, who's, who's going to speak the truth to him? So I'm going to sugarcoat the truth a little bit. I'm going to soften it so that it's palatable for him. Where's your heart right now? What, what's the Holy Spirit doing in here? Are you like, this is a pastor saying this is the way he's going to treat someone that says they're a Christian and they're living contrary to what the Bible has to say? The Holy Spirit right now should be leaning on you saying, you're missing something. You don't just speak with love, you speak the truth with love. You deliver it in such a way, yes, that they can receive it with great kindness and compassion and grace. At the same time, you still need to say, come on now. I can point to you, I can point to you in multiple different places throughout the course of scripture where God says you are wrong and you are in a dangerous place if this is the way you're going to live. As I was laying that out for you, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is like, no, no, Todd, no, 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 no. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yes, you love him, but you love him with the truth. Let the others weigh what is said. You weigh with the word of God and you combine that with how the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. Okay. When you come together, yes, it's a worship service, but also I want you to be thinking in these terms. Yeah, Paul, I believe Paul is in large part addressing the the, the larger um, gathering of the fellowship of believers. But he's also referring to any time that you would gather with another, if it's two or three sitting down over coffee, if it's your small group, 12 to 16 people, or 18 or whatever. When you come together, this is the way things should be. Order, order, order. I don't know about you, but, but I thrive when things are in order. I'm not very spontaneous, but I do know this. There is spontaneity worked into the worship service that Corey plans. There are moments where, you know, even though you don't see us being spontaneous, there is spontaneity that is leaking out the entire time. But God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. And every single piece of what you experience at Summit Church is intended to be experienced and delivered with order, not chaos. Because with order is where peace is found. It's the desire of Summit Church that we are at peace, that people experience God when they're here, that there is a deference to others, that there is a clear and orderly proclamation of the word of God. And that's what we hope happens here. Psalm four, we're gonna close with this. Psalm four, verse eight says this, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
I wonder if in your own personal life, if you are experiencing the presence of God in your life. Because as you experience the presence of God in your life, he should be bringing you to a place of peace, no matter the trial he might be walking you through. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I was having a conversation with a gentleman the other night. He's in his 60s. He spent his entire life in a, in a church experience that was driven exclusively by what I do is what determines whether or not I spend eternity with Christ. And he's like, man, I'm afraid. He's saying this to me. He's like, I'm afraid. He said, because here I'm in my 60s and I just don't know if what I have done is enough. Here's what I know. He is not at peace because he has not experienced the presence of God. And I said this to him. If you want peace, you must understand that you are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter two, through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that you can't have anything to boast about. Look, everything, understanding and experiencing the peace that passes all understanding begins with submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ and recognizing it's because of what he did. Has nothing to do with what you do. Everything to do with what Christ did. I couldn't believe it. The man broke down in tears and he hugged me. (laughs) And all I did was share with him the very simple truth. I pray to God today that he understands the peace of God that passes all understanding that comes from experiencing God. It is our hope that when you come in here, you experience God. So if you have yet to do it, we are freely after this last song inviting you up here. There will be elders be staff standing ready to have a discussion with you about how you can experience the person of Jesus Christ in your life and know his peace. Father God, may you do your work through your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would provoke the heart of each individual and meet us each where we are. And Lord, bring us to experiencing peace in this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.